0: Welcome to All Things Church Planting, a podcast dedicated to empathize with and empower the church planter. We aim to walk alongside you in your unique calling through real stories and relevant topics. We're a production of the 80 Plus Million Initiative of the Central Region of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. You can check us out at 80plusmillion.org. Here are your hosts. Justin Thornton, coming from Glass City, USA. And Todd Sovine, coming from his aggressively creepy basement.
1: Episode number six. How you doing? This is All Things Church Planting. Again, installment number six. Today we have K Hawk. He did not invite me to call him K-Hawk, but I'm going to call him K-Hawk. Anyway, his real name is Ken Hawkins. He's from Really Recovered Church. You have to hear this testimony. God picked this man up, dusted him off, gave him brand new life. This man was headed toward addiction, a a life of maybe even suicide he talks about in this episode, but God loves him, uh, brings him into brand new life, and now he's planted a church for addicts. I don't know. Maybe you got something better to do than hear this testimony and, and hear how God rescued his life and and helped him plant a church for addicts. Maybe you have something better to do. I doubt it. Once again, enjoy this episode with Ken Hawkins, Really Recovered Church. See you soon. All right, we're back. This is All Things Church Planning. All Things Church Planning is a podcast of the 80 Plus Million Initiative. The 80 Plus Million Initiative is an initiative of the Central Region of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. As a squad, as a region, we're chasing hard after the evangelization of 80-plus million souls in our region and the discipleship of the responsive. We believe one of the major vehicles for pushing that forward is church planning. And so here we are, a podcast entitled All Things Church Planning. Your hosts today are myself and Todd Sovine. Todd Sovine is the big dog and the leader of the region, although he would never call himself the big dog. Uh, one of our favorite tools to shape culture is storytelling. And so me and Todd are interviewing Ken Hawkins who planted a church called Really Recovered in Akron, Ohio, and he has a compelling story to tell. Hello, Todd, and hello, Ken. Hey, Justin. How you doing? Todd, I'm doing good, guys. Tell us where you met Ken and what struck you about his story.
0: Yeah, so I was in my office one day and a mutual acquaintance of ours called and said, hey, I got a friend who lives in town that needs some help with uh, all the legal paperwork. He wants to start a church. Would you be willing to help him? And I got to be honest with you, in the back of my head, I was like, ah, crap, I don't have any time for this. Don't need to go mess with some joker. Uh, and I thought, ah, I probably better be a, uh, a friendly neighbor. So I said, yeah, I'll meet him. And we ended up, the schedule was crazy. We we're going to meet like a month and a half, two months later before we we're actually going to connect. And so Happened uh, to be at a church, uh, the Monday before I was supposed to meet, uh, was at a church, uh, pretty, pretty typical church service, church congregation, white, middle class, suburban kind of joint, and um, was actually sitting in the back row, and up in front of me, there was, some, there was a row of people. Had baseball hats on backwards. One dude had a bandana, uh, and when everybody stood to sing, uh, they're standing there singing, and pretty quick their arms go up, and their arms got sleeves on them, you know, tattoos. And I was like, "Oh, these jokers! don't belong here. What's the deal?" Uh, and and uh, those are the kind of people I like hanging out with. So after the service, I went up to him and just said, "Hey, tell me how long you've been been coming here?" And, oh, you know, this are we're just checking it out. It's our first time, and Uh, I end up talking to this guy for about 10, 15 minutes. He's talking to me about, man, uh, you know, drug addict, but I've been seeing Jesus win people to Christ, and we've been discipling them and baptizing them. They don't call it baptizing. They call it dunking. Uh, And uh, he said, you know, I have no clue what I'm doing. And eventually, about 10 minutes into it, I go, so what's your name? And he goes, Ken Hawkins. And he goes, what's your name? And I said, Todd Sobine. And we looked at each other and went, are we supposed to meet each other tomorrow for lunch? Uh, and and that's
1: how we ended up meeting. Wow, that's good. Yeah, that 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 sounds like a, a scene from the office that that actually happened. I don't know if you guys are office fans, but that actually happened <laughs> in the office. So uh, you guys are Will Farrell and Steve Carell. It's it's you're in good company. Uh, Ken, t- tell us about really recovered. Uh, how does where does the dream start? What is God birthing in your heart? What is this burning in your gut that you need to plant this church?
2: Man, so I, I just, I, I remember, and I still, I still to this day, give Todd a hard time because he still hasn't given me my paperwork that I needed. But, uh, you know, uh, I, that was just one of those moments, even as Todd tells that story. And I think back to that. It's just another one of those moments where you could just see Jesus so clearly. And you're just going, you know, I just remember sitting back and going, man, I really am just holding on for the ride here. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so, you know, really recovered. It really just starts with my story and, you know, three decades almost of, of drug use and drug abuse and drug trafficking. And, you know, I was in and out of treatment centers. I, I, I did 17 treatment centers and I was in and out of jail constantly and felony after felony. And, you know, even as a juvenile um, you know, I, I, when I started drugs really young, probably about 13 or 14 or whatever. But by the time I was 16, I was so bad into selling drugs and, and doing coke and and stuff that I, you know, ran out of drugs on Christmas Eve when I was 16 years old. And I ended up robbing three gas stations at Knife Point in a stolen car on Christmas wow. Eve. And that, that was like the beginning of, of everything. You know, a lot of people look at that and go, man, that's got to be like a bottom <laughs> and that was that was the beginning you know and so I caught my first secret indictment when I was 19 years old for selling drugs and it just it just continued that way you know and and so all these treatment centers I would go to um, you know and I completed them it's not like I showed up and ran off to do drugs and I was really searching to go man how can I be different how can this thing that that's inside of me this This emptiness, this void, man, how can I fill it? And so 17 treatment centers, and I'm, I mean, I'm walking up and down 12 steps, I'm doing whatever, you know, but but what was always missing was, you know, they would just tell you, well, you just got to believe in something and you just have to make up a God and it's a God of your own understanding. And you know what I didn't realize at the time was that if I'm creating God, I'm God, right? And so it was really no different than when I was on the streets, uh, you know, and and I worshiped myself through drugs and alcohol and women and whatever else it was. You know, I had just when I would get involved in these programs, I would would still center and revolve around me. And so all these treatment centers and, 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 and like I said, almost three decades. And then what I got is I'm out on bond after I get arrested for fighting with a bunch of Akron cops in the middle of the night. And I get caught with a bunch of dope, and I, and I make bond. And I had just went on this bender for three months and spent about $50,000. And really what I was going for was just, you know, I, I just really didn't want to live anymore. And I just figured if I'm going out, I'm going out with a bang. And at the end of all this time, and, and I mean, I was shooting up three grams of fentanyl a day at one point and heroin. And and never experienced an overdose, and people around me were dropping dead left and right from overdoses. And and I remember being out on bond and I had got a couple fifths of alcohol, and I'm sitting in my living room in the middle of the night, and I'm about to do what I've always done. I got two fifths of liquor, I got a pocket full of dope, and I'm about to get high. I'm sitting in this room and I'm surrounded by demons. I mean, that was a normal thing for me, that there was darkness. There was demons and and every time I would go back out and, and get high or commit a crime or hurt somebody or get hurt or whatever it was, it seemed like more and more of them would be around me. And I remember sitting in that living room surrounded by these demons and I was about to get drunk and I was about to get high again and I'm out on bond and I had this realization that if those demons were real, that Jesus was real. And see, like, I hadn't been in the church since I was about 12 years old. And so I was, you know, this is always one of those things with my story. When I talk to people, they, they think I was like, like at an altar call or something. Like when I met Jesus, you know, you went up and you said a prayer and you were at an altar call. And I'm like, man, I was I was double-fisted with fifths of liquor and a pocket full of dope about to get high, surrounded by demons in the living room, you know? And, uh, and so I had this realization that, if those demons are real, Jesus is real. And, and the very next thought I had was, oh my gosh, like it was just this, this kind of fear came over me. And I thought to myself, man, he doesn't want anything to do with me. There's no way he wants anything to do with me. I just started to think back of all the stuff I've done and how I live my life. You know, and me and my wife, we had turned our house into a dope house. The kids, they're walking around, you know, their diapers aren't getting changed. They're eating off the floor. My wife had OD'd twice, you know, and I got her on drugs and and just that was just a little bit of, you know, almost 30 years of just just the the destruction that came along with who I was and what I did. And so I had this thought that, yeah, Jesus doesn't want anything to do with me because of how I live my life. There's no way that I'm sure at some point he was there and now he's far away. And so I started to cry and, and for the first time really, you know. Uh, for the first time, really inside, like in my heart, my very being, I was just done with me, and and if Jesus would just come back and show me what to do, I would do it anything, you know, and and that's what I started to cry and say out loud. I was like, Jesus, so you're real, so come back and just show me what to do, and I'll do it, you know, and I expected you know him to just tell me some things I could do, you know, because that's what it was always about when I was in treatments and stuff. It was always about behavior management and things you need to do and steps you need to check off and boxes you need to check and and uh and and right when i said it uh i jesus spoke to me right over my shoulder spoke to me and he said three words to me he said i never have left Mm. and and immediately i fell on my face and i thought like the room exploded and, and and the demons were cleared and there was just I was on my face just crying you know, and, uh, and at that moment, man, everything changed. It was, it was like when I, when I came up off of that floor, it was like laying, you know, laying on the table about to get, you know, an autopsy done. And then all of a sudden, you know, you breathe and there's, there's life for the first time I experienced life, like something had changed. And, uh, and that's really where really recovered started. Uh, because from then on out, you know, I, I, I had to tell people about this new life because I knew if he could do that with me, he could do that with anybody. Um, and, and so that was the beginning of it. That was the beginning of it. Um, and it really, I didn't, you know, I didn't have this burning in my gut after that to plant a church. Um, but you know, the same spirit inside of me now that, that cried out, Abba father, cried out lost people and 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 that's just what it was like I just knew that people needed to hear uh the gospel and that's really what it was all about Uh, my wife tells the story when she came home it was about 2017 when everything started with uh with Todd and stuff And, and I reached out to him and uh she comes home one day and I'm bawling like crying and And she thought like one of our parents had died or something. Right. (laughs) And she comes in and, and she's like, you know, I had just been in the bedroom by myself on my knees praying and she comes in and she's like, Oh my gosh, what happened? You know? And and I told her, Jesus said, we're going to plant a church for addicts. We're going to be the first church ever for addicts. And I'm crying because I'm so terrified. I'm going, there's no way that I can do this, you know? And I, and I just remember I just remember that feeling and and being a part of different events and different church things and gatherings and stuff where people were talking about like yeah I just think I should go plant a church and I remember when it gets to me I'd always feel like am I the only one here that didn't want to do that you know like and I think a lot of that comes from what we think church is you know what we've seen and we think church is uh, you know we think of it a lot of times I think more of like a business than what it really is, the body of Jesus actually moving his hands, his feet, his mouth, you know, his words. Um, but yeah, that that's really how everything started. And I just picked up my iPhone and started sharing my story and just telling people that I knew were aching in their souls, that man, that Jesus is the filler for that. You know, he's hes the thing, he's the one uh, that created us and, and, and that gave us life. And, and through the cross that there's this, there's this peace with him, man, and, and this, this new spirit, this new heart, this new life. And I just had to tell everybody, you know, because I knew I had really been dead. I had really been dead and, and experienced life for the first time.
0: Thanks for uh, sharing the story. A um, lot, of, lot of beautiful testimony of what Jesus Christ did in your life and then in the lives of those that started to gather around you. Uh, tell us just a little bit about how the heart of the king really lines up with, uh, with what you're doing uh, among those who are struggling with addiction. Yeah, so I think it's really, you know, when I, when I think about it, I think there's
2: really two things that stand out to me when it comes to addiction of any kind in in the heart of Jesus is obviously the first one, man, there's just this brokenness that you have when you're shoving some kind of poison in your body to, to fill the ache in your soul. There's just this brokenness that goes along with that, you know, and, and just as I, as I would tell people my stories, I would share the gospel with people. It was almost like the same thing over and over. I remember when I was going into court the last time for arraignment, And I just, you always, when you're going into court, you know, you always got a good story that you're going to tell the judge so you can get out. And I remember for the first time ever, the last time I was arrested thinking to myself, it doesn't matter if they keep me here or let me out. Like I'm in prison either way, you know? And and that was the same thing with everybody who has struggled with that. And as I talked with them and shared gospel, still to this day as I shared the love of Jesus with addicts, man, that's the same thing. They have this realization that, you know, It's not this, there's, it doesn't matter where you're at physically or what your circumstances are. You're in prison inside, you know, because you got this void. And I mean, Jesus came to seek and save the lost, right? Even in first Corinthians, you know, chapter one, how it talks about, man, on purpose, he chose what the world considers worthless and foolish and all those things, man. So his glory can really be seen. And so that's, that's the obvious first part, I think. Uh, is that just the the outright brokenness and the lostness that goes along with people shoving poison in their body to try and fill the void. And there's an obvious, you know, we talk about social distancing now and stuff, and it's like our people at our church know what that's like because it used to be when we would walk down the street, people would cross to the other side. You know, we know all about that kind of stuff. And so, um, I mean, there's that part to it. And then there's this other part to it uh, where people have taken these 12 steps and these programs and these different things and made it to where you can kind of make up your own God. And, uh, and there's a lot of this uh, that goes on, you know, when we meet people, uh, what they've been programmed with, what they've been told. Uh, but really, what it comes down to is, is worshiping a false God. And so, in the recovery community, you know, in the 12 step programs and stuff like that, that's what there is. It's, it's really not, um, well, like I like to talk about how people say, you know, that it has to be, but Jesus instead of Jesus, but right. Or Jesus and, and so the recovery community has this thing where, uh, maybe they say Jesus is their higher power or whatever, but really they want Jesus to be an addition to their life or an addition their program and and really you know i always get this picture of like mount carmel with these guys on one side in the recovery community they have their their false gods that they've made up and, and they're trying to manage their behavior or whatever it is and then there's us on the other side here at really recovered men that know that jesus is the one and only living god you know and and we're taking the gospel to these people, Jesus wants to destroy all these false idols and all these false gods and call these people even back to himself, you know? And and that's the thing that's in Akron. It's the birthplace of recovery, you know? And so it's not even, you know, going into programs and meetings and stuff. You can't even go in there and talk about Jesus, man. They'll try to run you out of there, you know? Um, But there is this thing where Jesus is, is trying to call these people back to themselves as well. And he's using people like us that really recovered, uh, who have really encountered the one and only living God, um, to rain down fire from heaven, right? And, 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 and show, hey, look at what I do. I change the way you think. I give you different desires. I, you know, I give you a new life. Um, and how he's, he's got to be the center And so we see this happening at really recovered where there's no programs and there's no behavior management. There's just worship of the one and only living God, a true surrender to him. And it's a huge testimony to people who keep making up false gods and falling on their face, you know, and and falling down time and time and time again um, that they look at us and there's no way that we could pull it off. You know, only Jesus, only the power of Jesus can do that. And so, you know, I think that's, that's really the two things I think of when I think of uh, addiction and, and, and the heart of Jesus is, one, you know, reaching those obvious lost people who know they're lost and they're searching for something. But also reaching these people over here in recovery who, because maybe they're sober, don't realize they're still headed to eternal destruction and death and, 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 and getting their attention to call them back to him themselves as well. They're lost too. They just don't know it, you know? And so those are the two things I think of when I think of the heart of Jesus with the the addicts.
1: Yeah. That sounds like my Jesus, you know, loving, loving people on the margins, uh, crossing the street in multiple scenarios to touch someone with leprosy, to tell the story of the good Samaritan, to to love the person on, on the margins. I love what you guys are doing. So talk talk to someone who's trying to do something similar. Okay, matter of fact, I got I got, a, I got someone I'm coaching right now who wants to do something similar. Shout out to to Brandon Sykes in Saginaw, Michigan. Um, talk to him right now. What what are some of the unique challenges uh, of planting this type of church um, with types of folks? Yeah. So I probably
2: covered a little of them in that, the the last thing that I was talking about. You know, but But it is, it's, it's, it's really, I remember after, you know, my encounter with Jesus, my new life, trying to think through, you know, all these different things I could do to reach addicts, you know, and like, man, how I really had this pure heart in the fact that I really wanted to help people and I really wanted to see people get a new life. But then I would start to get in the way with my thinking and go, maybe I should do this. Maybe I should do that. And the problem with that is, and I think it's the same thing in the church world. It's like you kind of, you'll, you'll drift to build kind of what you've seen and what you know, you know, and and I've been in 17 different treatment centers, you know? So as I would sit down and try and think through, man, how am I going to reach people? Um, I would overcomplicate a very simple gospel of Jesus Christ, you know? I would overcomplicate that. And I think we live in a world where um, it's normal to do that. Right. Uh, you know, it's it's a little bit of scripture and a whole lot of us speaking rather than the other way around. And so, um, you know, I guess what I would say to him is, you know, to really, you got to really be in tune with the Holy Spirit and really be willing to follow Jesus. And I know that sounds like a cliche, like, oh, of course, follow Jesus. but you know, I mean, like, really follow Jesus, even when you get what you get back isn't exactly what you like or what you think it should be. Uh, because I, I had all these plans to chase ambulances when people OD'd, or to open up houses to do this, or to open up. You know, I had all these different plans, and Jesus, you know, he was so gentle with me, but he would constantly just point out, yeah, people are doing that. You know what? Nobody's really doing? Nobody's really coming up Mount Carmel, right? And standing there in front of a bunch of people and going, no, only Jesus. I was just reading in Jeremiah 42 where he's talking about, you know, they're they're saying, hey, should we stay here, Judah? Or should we go? And they have Jeremiah pray. And they go, whatever God says, we're going to do it no matter what. you know. And, and he comes back and he goes, God says stay. And they go, we're not going to do it. You know? and, he goes, <laughs> and, and, it's, and I think a lot of times that's what we get caught up in when we want to do something. We, we have our notions and our thoughts and our plans of what we think it should look like. And you know, and you got all this stuff around you that tells you what you think it should look like, and really to just listen to Jesus and go against that because Jesus is always, he's just opposite what I think. And so, like, in the beginning, what I did a lot of is like, man, I think this would be a good idea, and I just did the opposite. I just pray, talk to Jesus, and he just wants me to do the opposite. I'm just like, yeah, yeah, that's probably stupid. I just do the opposite. Isn't it crazy how we don't think, you know, because what we're used to, but Jesus's design is so much better than, than, than what we have designed or what we have planned, you know? And it's been the greatest, it's been a great, one of the greatest blessings ever is to have this tight knit family and actually read through the book of Acts and go, man, we look like people that walked out of this book, you know? And instead of going, Hey, let's take this truth. And you know, uh, this truth that doesn't change. And, put it in this culture that's always changing. But really what happened was our culture changed to Jesus's culture, you know, as we just submitted to him and, and man, it's been amazing because we've seen, we've seen, I mean, that's probably one of my favorite, you know, one of the hugest blessings of being a part of really recovered is to actually have that front row seat, to see fire rain down from heaven. I mean, I was, I just looked at, you know, today I was just praying about our time together and I I just started to cry as I thought about, man, I've been allowed to have a front row seat, to see fire rain down from heaven, to see people healed from drug addiction, to see people healed from physical illness, to, to see Jesus through us, cast out demons from people you know, and, and and to see, you know, people healed from 13 different psych meds and they're on our leadership team now. It's like, man, like it's so awesome to just step out in faith and trust Jesus, man, and, and be a part of what he's doing and to witness that.
0: Yeah. Ken, it's been a fun ride to uh, partner with you in all of this and to, at least from somewhat of a distance, uh, still get to claim a front row seat with y'all. Uh, in watching Jesus do what Jesus does best. you know one of the one of the things you've alluded to and then just plain spoke about was the idea that you know you're going into some really deep, dark places of bondage and uh, no doubt that uh, puts you in a place where there are a, a lot of a lot of arrows uh, aimed at you from the enemy and you've had to encounter. Quite a bit in that area. Tell tell us just a little bit about some of the spiritual warfare, particularly for you and your family as you've planted this church.
2: Yeah. So I remember, I remember in the beginning when we would be getting together and I'd be bringing a message or whatever. I would, I would ask Megan, my wife, all the time. I would go, Do you think other pastors get attacked like this all the time? Like there was just always this pressure, you know, and like, that really recovered, man, a baptism just isn't a baptism, like, I picture as they hit the water, demons just flying, because like, we've experienced that kind of stuff, like, when we have a baptism, like, we need to be alert, people need to be prayed up, our leadership team knows, it's like, man, it was, it was so heavy at one point, and we were new, right, so like, we were just, you know, wrestling through that, and a lot of time there's this this dark presence that's coming against the advancement of the kingdom. And our first thought a lot of times is to personalize it, you know, and you, you find yourself with, Oh, am I being attacked? What am I doing wrong? Jesus, you know, cause we're just human. And really it's just, man, the kingdom is forcefully advancing and, and evil forces are fighting against it. Right. And, and there's this world we can't see that's happening. But, um, so we experience a ton of that, you know, especially down in Akron where we're at, um, and just with the addiction community, uh, a lot of times people, you know, you think you read the Bible and you don't really see, you see drinking, but you don't really think you see drugs in there. But what's interesting is, you know, even in Galatians uh, chapter five, I think where it's talking about the fruit of the flesh and it mentions sorcery and it mentions sorcery in a couple of places in the Bible. Well, that word that they use was pharmakia. And that's the word that we get pharmacy from. And so they use drugs and stuff with these sorcery and these incantations and stuff, you know, and, and so that kind of stuff opens up a door, man. I just think that, that you're just closer to that kind of stuff and you witness it a lot more. And I never have a problem sitting down in a room full of addicts and going, man, I was surrounded by demons. And I could see everything They're like, yeah, I know what that's like, you know, and they've experienced that darkness uh, you know, um, so, so we do, we experience a lot more of that and we really need to stay alert and, and really stay alert and be in the throne room and be really close to Jesus. And we do, uh, what, you know, the, the church would probably call, uh, deliverances. We do a lot of, we call them true detoxes where we're doing like a spiritual detox and, and, and we witness people come in and be at the building and you, I'll be preaching the gospel and they jump up and cackle and yell and run out. <laughs> we witnessed this kind of stuff a lot and we've also seen some of those same people continue to come back and and give their life to Jesus and be baptized and be free and be completely set free, you know. So, um we do we I remember in the beginning though, you know, you just see I don't know, you just see pastors on TV and these big stadiums filled with people preaching. I think sometimes you think I'm you know, planting a church is probably what it's going to look like someday and i just remember i just remember going into going into preach the gospel to 50 75 100 addicts and just feeling like there was a demon punching me in the face you know and just going man does this happen to everybody and you know they look on tv like they're getting their makeup on and so they look like they're just not going through it at all um but yeah, it's just this thing that really, over time, has been really good because Jesus has just—he
1: doesn't—he doesn't waste anything. Yeah, that, those nuances of spiritual warfare are definitely, you know, unique to your context. I praise God that you guys are aware of them and you're looking for them. You know, there's there's other nuances that you guys are experiencing. I'm sure in in the realm of discipleship, you're trying to figure out how do we how do we disciple these folks? Um, obviously, the gospel informs discipleship. Everybody should be discipling people. Um, but context definitely informs the nuances of discipleship. So in your context, what are some of those nuances, those differences in, in discipleship?
2: So, I, I mean, I don't know a lot. Um, you know, my, my experience with other churches and other contexts is, is, a, is a little limited, you know? So like, um, like I said, I wasn't in the church from the time I was young. And then I encountered Jesus, and next thing you know, you know, I was praying, "Hey, give me the messiest of all people," you know, and, and boom, here I am. And so uh, I have a limited uh, amount of, of contact, I guess, with other contexts. A lot, a, a lot has come through being it with the Christian and Missionary Alliance and seeing it. So I, I want to start with that. Um, so. What I do know is that I sat down because I had all these guys, right? This is how Really Recovered starts in 2017. We're, we're in my house, and I'm just meeting with some guys. And uh, next thing you know, uh, people are giving their life to Jesus. People are being healed. Um, you know, six people in my house turns into 60 people. And we didn't have a band, and we didn't have any of that stuff. We didn't have worship. You know, we, we got <laughs> together. We ate. We prayed there was a short message. We, we prayed, then we hung hey, out. You so, did
1: whatever. church without a band. That was okay. <laughs> I
2: did. We did not have a band. We didn't wow. have any worship music except a playlist that would just play on a little speaker before we would all get together and pray and stuff. And, and so like, and I didn't know, you know, like, so it was good because I couldn't get in the way and be stupid. But, uh, so like, but like, that's how everything kind of started. And, and I remember having these guys and, and and we didn't even know we were a church until we were baptizing 15 people dedicating 15 kids. We rented out the Knights of Columbus and Wadsworth. And I filled up this quick set pool all day. And I remember thinking I was sinning because I didn't tell the people that I was filling a pool up in their, in their, in their place, you know? And I was like, I, I'm going to do it anyways. It's for the King, you know? And, and, uh, and so like I stood there, I remember that night, looked around with 60 people showed up and I went, man, we're a church. This is what it looks like to really, you know, to get together and, and be on mission. But then, then so I had these these guys who believed in Jesus and these girls who believed in Jesus now who were, were baptized. And I remember sitting at a coffee shop trying to figure out, okay, man, I gotta have these, you know, recovery has the steps, so I gotta have this program. You know, and I'm sitting there and I sat there probably six hours and, and started to type some stuff and erased it, started typing erased, and I left that coffee shop so frustrated because I was like. I didn't come up with the big plan, you know, what to do with people now. And I went to the gym, and I had a gym in my garage. and just started working out. And and Jesus, so gentle with me once again, just in between sets, starts to speak to my heart. The Holy Spirit starts to just point out to me what Jesus did with me. You know, and I just start going over to my whiteboard in between sets and just writing something down and writing something down. And, and, And that became what we call the way, which is our discipleship process. And so it's our initial discipleship process. It's got five parts to it. And obviously, well, five and a half. uh, Obviously, the first part is salvation, man, where we really hit home on what it looks like, what Jesus has done, that like, man, we're trusting in him and him alone. And we also go over the cost. You know, I think that's left out a lot of times. It's like you want to just give them the good news of the gospel without the good news of the cost. And so we hit hard on the cost because we don't want people just saying a prayer and think they're, going, they're doing good and they're going to hell. We want people to really understand, you know, what it means to give up your life to follow Jesus. And, and then we go into, you know, uh, your, you know, how you see yourself, how you think others see you, and then go right into your, your identity. You've got a new identity now that you know Jesus, you know. And uh, in between there, we had to add a little step because people would give their life to Jesus, and we go, man, go work on your self identity or you know your self perception list. And they would come back, and we go, did you do your list? And they go, we got high. <laughs> and so we added a little section in between with the armor, and we're like, maybe you should put this helmet on and take this shield, and don't forget your sword, you know, and grab your shoes on the way because you know you need to be armored up. Like it, you know, he's declared war on you now. The enemy has declared war on you giving your life to jesus and so you know going through that and then we have a, a the third part is the sins part where you just confess your sins to one another we pray for each other so we can be healed um you know and just really just emptying out that cart that we drag behind us with ropes made of lies you know um that's been weighing us down forever and, and really get freedom on that kind of stuff and then the fourth part is forgiveness where we really dive into like all that sin you know was against you or was against others really was against god and when you recognize that and and he forgives you you know you're not trying to get this forgiveness from other people you're not trying to forgive yourself or love yourself anymore we spent too much time loving ourselves, right it's like man the creator of the universe loves you he's forgiven you and there's freedom in that and then part five which is discipleship where we flip it around and we do everything two on one You know, and we take two people and they take them through the way. And so we have this initial discipleship process that's constantly ongoing. That I would say probably 90% of the people in the church are going through. And if they're not going through it, they know how to do it and they're doing it. And so that's a big thing. Uh, That's a big difference between being recovered and being in recovery. Because in recovery, what they teach you through these steps and stuff is to do a program. And they want, you to make, they want you to make followers of a program, right? And I'm going, no, 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 no. Jesus has died to regain possession of that which was lost, redemption, being redeemed, which also means recovered. You know, and now we've regained possession of our relationship and of him. And so, like, you know, we have him, he has us. And that's what it means to be really recovered is to be redeemed. And so now it's time to make followers of Jesus not followers of a program, not followers of a behavior management program where you're trying to clean up the outside of the cup, but really making followers of Jesus and what that looks like to take the gospel uh, to to the lost people and to the ends of the earth. And so I don't know what that looks like. I I know that for us, we took it serious. We went, okay, how can we give up more of our life to, to disciple people? Because we saw, man, you know, Jesus, when he picked his disciples, they're following around, and he turns around and he goes, what do you want? And they're like, where are you staying, right? Mm-hmm. And he goes, come and see. And so we took it serious with giving up our lives and letting people into our lives so we could actually show them what it looks like to follow Jesus, you know? And, and um, it's not something that's, I don't know, for us anyways, I might speak about it, but for us, I don't know how it can be done on a business level. It's, you know, for us, it was like, man, really there has to be this sacrifice here and this suffering here for the glory that's to come. And, 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 and the sacrifice here and the suffering here to make disciples, you know, to really make disciples, like you got to really invest and you got to really give up your life. You can't just, I meet with a guy once a week. Okay. Yeah. But, man, following Jesus is not just a once a week thing. I'm not saying that can't be beneficial or help, but we took, I, once again, the Bible tells us so. So we were like, we had to come to terms with this life isn't about us. You know, this life isn't about us. And and that was part of letting people into our house. And like even, you know, that culture has stuck. The other leaders, when we moved from Wadsworth to Akron to plant sold their houses and moved to Akron. They all moved in together and took part-time jobs so they could spend their time on discipleship. Like they all lived together and shared bills and shared utilities and shared rent and shared living expenses and toilet paper, all that stuff, you know, and took part-time jobs so that they could spend most of their time making disciples and not building up a, a retirement plan, you know, because our retirement plan isn't here. And so, um, that's what our discipleship looks like. And that's what, you know, we're, that's it. And that's, that's everything discipleship process. It's everything because it was everything to Jesus. I mean, he says, I mean, I've been given all authority on heaven and earth. Like somebody says that makes that statement. The very next thing that comes out of their mouth is pretty important. They're telling you like, listen up. Right. I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth and I'm about to use it to tell you this. And he said, go and make disciples. And so we, we take it pretty serious too, because Jesus does, you know? So it's everything. Discipleship is everything. If we're not making disciples, I don't know what we're doing. I don't know that we're the church, you know, if you're not doing that, um, that that is the church and that is what the church is
1: supposed to do. Praise God. Good, Good word. I love what God's doing. That really recovered. Um, I love your heart, man. Thank you for sharing your heart. Any closing comments from Ken or Todd? Yeah, uh, you know,
0: it's, uh, it's unfortunate that we can't just spend a couple more hours here because there are some crazy fun stories of what Jesus has done in All people's right. lives. So at some point, we may have to bring this podcast back to town and uh, go after this a little bit more. Look forward to what Jesus is going to do and in multiplying this, how God's raised up leaders. There's so many beautiful stories of, of the King and the King advancing his kingdom. And, um, just real grateful that Jesus, uh, uh, allows us people like us to be involved in what he does. So beautiful. Yeah.
2: I just want to thank you for having me on, man. It's been awesome to be able to, anytime I can talk about jesus man and what he's doing and 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 my life points to the cross you know points to him it's just an honor and a privilege that i even get to sit here and breathe air right now with how i live my life man and so i'm just thankful um with what jesus is doing through you man and through your podcast and stuff and reaching people and and through todd and, and having him be a part of my life and so uh yeah just thank i thank jesus for you guys man
1: Amen. Give the church a shout out and tell them where people, tell people where they can find you at. Okay, so it's
2: Really Recovered, and we are on, uh, you can get online at reallyrecovered.com. Follow us on Facebook at Really Recovered. Um, Yeah, you can email us through either one or message us through either one. The Akron number is 330 217 9773. The Worcester number is 330 217 7139 um and and those numbers those phones ring 24 hours a day believe me so if anybody even needs help you know call those numbers we just had a guy the other day man call in the morning after smoking crack and drinking all night and the girl in the back seat of the car was like that says something when somebody like that calls the church yes for help right yeah because goes, unheard of that people call the church like that for help in those situations You know, and and that's what we're, that's what we're doing here. That's what Jesus is doing here at
1: Really Recovered. Amen. Y'all need to check out Really Recovered. And thank you for joining us on All Things Church Planting.
0: Thank you for listening to All Things Church Planting. Do you need a friend to change the world with? So do we. Once again, check us out at 80plusmillion.org. Life is too short to plant churches alone. And if we are going to plow a church planting movement, We are going to do it together. See you next time on All Things Church Planting Podcast.